Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode seven of Connecting with Can, a podcast dedicated to sharing Kuwaiti Network's experiences on working with migrant workers. I'm your host, Sahaj Jaraisi, and on today's podcast, we have Jeff and Mary, and we'll be talking about capacity building, the importance of legal policies. So, Mary, I know you've talked in a previous episode before, but could you please introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Mary Russo. I've been working with Can since May 2022. It's been an amazing experience. I've loved it every step of the way. Um, I'm the senior legal coordinator at CAN, so I do a lot of different legal things for them as well as different research project things and any other tasks they might um, be, have the opportunity to participate in. And I'm very excited to be a part of this podcast. Great. Thank you so much, Mary. All right, let's jump right into it. What are the most important legal aspects and processes that go into establishing an organization? And what do these documents provide to the organization? Well, I think some of the best and most important documents that are needed for an organization in order to have a steady and solid foundation would be definitely bylaws, which are sometimes referred to as the constitution of the organization. These bylaws are pretty complex and they basically outline how the organization itself functions, what the members of the organization's roles are, or the chairs and the directors and everything like that, just to keep everything in a document that sort of lays out all the rules as to how this organization is going to function. There's a lot of different areas in which um, in which to highlight. For example, like if you want to include performance reviews, which I know our organization does, that's something you would put in the bylaws just saying, you know, performance reviews are a thing that we're committed to providing. We must provide them once a month or how once a week, wherever you decide to provide them. I definitely think that having that kind of foundation to go by is really what helps an organization continue to function because you can always look back at something. I also think um, having solid contracts is a really important thing. Um, Definitely a big part of capacity building and the legal aspect because you need to have solid employment contracts that outline what employees are, what is expected of employees, as well as things that can protect um, employers and employees themselves. For example, um, having like an NDA contract is really important when you're working with vulnerable people, such as CAN does. And um, it's really important to keep information that's confidential and private, keep it private and confidential. So if having those kind of things in place, like an NDA and employment contracts, it's very useful and helpful to us. It protects us, it protects the people we work to help, and it also protects our employees. Yeah, I, exactly. As Mary said, it's like an important part of the foundation. I think one of the the challenges of, of working in a, a an informal grassroots organization when it starts is there's no real rules. It's just a bunch of like-minded people coming together to, you know, do to, to support a cause. And I mean, as it moves forward and, you know, you have logistics, you have tens of thousands of dollars worth of donations to deal with. You have, you know, a lot of scheduling to do and you need people to do specific tasks with specific roles. The more complicated and successful you become, the more difficult it is to do things if you don't have rules. And I think, for us, uh, ha- setting up those, uh, you know, uh, protective measures, NDAs, contracts for employees, uh, a clear vision for the organization really creates that foundation that you mentioned to, to help us survive and to flourish. Without those foundations, uh, you know, it's just people. 
And people are important, but without an institutional, like formal uh, organization, it's very difficult long term to, uh, you know, develop like, you know, uh, long-standing loyalties and relationships and build a, 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 a central role within the communities you're working in. Yeah, I mean, these documents provide so much structure and they go hand in hand with, you know, human resources documents, sort of like an employee handbook of sort of that um, mindset. And then it, it provides like an outline, a clear outline of an employee's time with the organization and what, you know, the board of directors or what each employee is expected to do or how they're expect, expected to behave when they're employed within organization. So, yeah, like you both have mentioned, it provides a lot of structure and foundation to uh, an organization, which is obviously necessary for capacity building. But also when considering capacity building, how vital are these legal processes in terms of like, you know, you talked about how they provide protection to employees and that the evade legal issues, but what would an NGO be without them? How important are these documents? I mean, the, I mean, it, the challenge is that one of the major challenges that CAN had, especially in its founding uh, first eight months, was actually uh, developing a clear structure uh, to um, organize tasks. And without these structures and clear guidelines, we wouldn't have been able to do a lot of the things we want to do. And in an uh, environment like Kuwait, um, you know, it's not easy to navigate the government structure, uh, the social structure, or uh, develop strong relationships with communities. There's a lot of mistrust and there's a lot of divisions and barriers, which we've talked about in some of the other podcasts. Um, so without these legal frameworks to guide us, it, it would make it very confusing. And, and one of the, the major challenges uh, of an NGO or a nonprofit anywhere in the world, but specifically in Kuwait, is recruiting good personnel, uh, recruiting uh, people who have long-term commitment to the organization, uh, developing a clear guideline about how our organization, our organization does things, creating a culture within the organization. I think at the end of the day, the most important things about these rules, which on the surface look very bureaucratic or human resources or corporate, is they help create the culture. I mean, in our organization's frameworks, our vision, our bylaws, it's dedicated to serving people. And on the surface, it just looks like a bunch of legal documents. But when you really look at it, it's actually attempting to promote and encourage a culture that many nonprofits have worldwide um, to take care of the people within the organization um, and uphold our human rights uh, of employees and employers and, and do the same thing for the community. I mean, within the organization itself is the same commitment to human rights uh, that we we promote outside of our organization. And that's really, really important is to make sure that internally we're doing the same things we're doing externally, which is building trust, building respect between employees and employers, between employees and employees, between volunteers and employers vi and vice versa. Um, and this is actually where this these legal aspects and processes really provide a very strong foundation. I think the other thing they do is they they tend to uh, remove the individual from the process. So one of the challenges of running these organizations is certain individuals commit more resources and times to running an organization, uh, a nonprofit or a charity. And the problem with that can be if that person is too overworked or doesn't have the ability to continue at a certain level to commit, that when that person leaves, you lose a lot of uh, you know institutional culture or um, organizational know-how. And by creating these structures and rules, and basing it off best practices, you know, you get to save some of the resources and energies of that person, even if they leave. 
Um, and this is really, uh, for Kuwait Aid Network, this is one of the primary objectives is to make sure that the organization isn't doesn't rise and fall based on one or two or three individuals. It's an institution. There's a culture. People can leave. Uh, people can come, but the culture remains the same. And that's that's what, what the legal frameworks actually do is protect that culture. I just wanted to add that I think a really important part of this capacity building is that if you don't have a strong internal internal structure, there's no way that you can provide help externally. An organization without these vital things like employment contracts, NDAs, bylaws, wouldn't be able to function at a higher level or function efficiently unless it had those things. So it's it's sort of like in order to do the work that you want to do, which is helping others, you need to be able to ha- help your, you need to be able to have a strong foundation to fall back on as well as just a strong organizational capacity in order to be able to organize yourself to actually provide the aid that you are aiming to provide. So I think that that's a really important thing because without these sort of structures in place, your internal structure would be weak and therefore you would not be able to um, efficiently provide aid and you might find yourself a lot of the time running around in circles trying to figure out small things that have to do with internal structure because you didn't have the foundation in place that you should have had and that can take up time and take time away from what you want to be doing which is actually going out and helping people. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Structure is very important. And Jeff, you just touched upon this, and I'd like to go into more detail. And obviously, Mary, you can chime in. I know that we've been recently incorporated in Canada. So what are the differences in legal processes of establishing and developing a not-for-profit in Kuwait versus uh, establishing one in Canada? And how does capacity building and organization and foundation and structure, how do they differ between the two uh, countries? I mean, in terms of the actual legal framework of a nonprofit in Canada and Kuwait, they're actually basically the same thing. Um, it's a standard uh, limited liability company with a series of shareholders. Uh, because it's based as a nonprofit, you have restrictions on how you can use the money or distribute money for profit, which you can't. Um, the, the standard structure of the, the nonprofit is the same. Um, the difference is in setting up the nonprofit is both timing, efficiency, and cost. So to set up a nonprofit in Canada takes less than 24 hours to actually set up. Um, It costs very little to set up. It costs less than a couple hundred dollars um, to do. Um, It doesn't take very much to develop the bylaws or guidelines for the nonprofit. And the primary uh, challenge of setting up a nonprofit in Canada is actually mostly related to taxes and how you claim taxes and how you pay employees, how you gain uh, revenue, uh, which is standard. But this is more of a bureaucratic issue after you start. Um, In terms of the actual framework for the nonprofit in Canada or the structure of shareholders, it's it's very straightforward. And the Canadian government, the Ontario government, has a lot of resources to streamline the process and make it very easy. Um, And it's it's, it's quite simple to do. Um, On the Kuwaiti side, it's a very different story. To set up a, a, a nonprofit in Kuwait, you have to actually know the business legal system. So the first obstacle is whether you understand Arabic language or not, because everything is in Arabic. So this is a huge impediment to understanding what's going on in terms of how to set up the nonprofit. Um, The second major issue is that 
it's not the information to set up a nonprofit is not readily available online. Uh, it is online uh, if you know where to look, uh, but it is not readily available for the general public. You have to do quite a lot of searching or you need to know someone within the business community or government office uh, that actually sets up the commercial process to set up a nonprofit. You have to know someone to actually set it up. Um, so most nonprofits in Kuwait actually never get set up legally because people don't know how to do it. The the other thing that's important uh, to, to consider is the cost of setting up a nonprofit. So the actual cost of setting up a nonprofit in Kuwait is under $1,000 Canadian. So much more than a Canadian nonprofit, but not too expensive. Um, but the cost of the nonprofit itself, you know, the printing of the government documents, the certifications are quite lengthy and it quite, takes quite a long time to do. A skilled person who has knowledge of how to navigate the commercial process in Kuwait can do the entire process between in between six weeks and eight, uh, and, and eight weeks. Um, someone who doesn't know the processes and doesn't have a good grasp of the commercial landscape um, can take up to a year or never to set it up. And this is the death of a lot of nonprofits in Kuwait is not knowing where to go. Information is not readily available online. There's a lot of bureaucracy. It's very difficult to know. Uh, and the last point that makes it di the, the difference would be in Kuwait. Often people do not have the ability to navigate these bureaucracies themselves. So they hire someone to do it for them, either a, a small company or an individual who has insight into doing these things. And Really, the main cost is how how much does that person charge to set it up for you? So, and this price can vary. From the low end, you can get a nonprofit set up by someone who's very good for 300 KD, uh, 300 NR, which is just over a thousand dollars Canadian, or uh, it can be anything up to 10,000 KD, which is about forty five thousand dollars, forty four, forty five thousand dollars Canadian. So, you tend to have. Uh, a, a huge swing in the cost of doing it, and because there's not a lot of information about the rules. Um, a lot of nonprofits never become legal. They work in informal statuses. They do not actually know the legal rules. Uh, they put uh, money and donations or revenue into their own personal bank accounts, which leads them open to uh, legal um, ramifications if the government sees that they're improperly taking donations, which is a major issue here. I mean, in general, once you have a nonprofit set up in Kuwait, it runs very similar to a Canadian one in terms of paperwork and filing your finances. There is no taxes in Kuwait, so you're not required to fire, file tax paperwork. You just have to submit your financial documents every year to the Ministry of Commerce and Industry in Kuwait. Um, it's really the setup that's the challenge. And this is the death of most NGOs in Kuwait is not knowing how to set it up or beginning the setup process and then getting stuck somewhere in between. Um, and this is why Kuwait Aid Network actually works very hard to inform its uh, partners who are unlicensed about how to get licensed. And we've had quite a lot of success helping other organizations get licensed by spreading the knowledge about how to do it. I think that um, there's definitely a lot of differences between how to establish uh, organizations in both different countries. I feel like Jeff definitely touched on those points more than I could touch on them. So I think I do remember, though, that when we were trying to establish the Canadian organization just to get the name out there before all the taxes and everything else that you have to do, that was very simple. Um, it was almost shockingly simple. So it's very easy to just get your name out there. But then there's a lot more things that have to do with the bureaucracy and everything else afterwards. So in the end, it does become more complicated regardless. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jeff, for that very detailed answer. And uh, last question that I'd just like to touch upon, and you touched upon a little bit, but I was hoping for some more detail. Uh, what are some legal challenges that may arise when helping others? And this would be both when 
you know, Jeff, you said that you help others set up their organizations or just like legal challenges with helping migrant workers. And how does that limit, you know, PAN's ability to administer the aid that is needed in Kuwait and in Canada? There are definitely some legal challenges that arise when you're helping other people. For example, um, a lot of the time, if you want to help them, you might not be in a position where you can help them and not sort of reveal their identity and put them in danger, if that makes sense. A lot of times when migrant workers try to speak out about treatment, they their treatment by their employers and whatnot, uh, they will get targeted by people and you can't really... Um, identity is a big issue here in terms of like you can't let people's identity be open to the public a lot of the time when they're speaking on things um so that can be a large issue as well as like how that can cause issues with residency and how some migrant workers may have issues with their own residency and our hands are a bit tied when we try to help them because we are not we don't control the government we can't give people residency we can only um try to help them where we can and give them the best legal advice we can and the best steps to take forward from that point but there are in some ways there are some serious limits and challenges and that makes our hands tied which is sad because we wish we could help as many people as we could but unfortunately that's not always the case yeah i completely agree i mean uh, just to build off of what uh mary was saying i mean the the biggest legal challenge is just actually frankly speaking knowing what the the, the clear legal framework is um and i mean that's one of the challenges of, of being in this work is knowing where the red lines are knowing what is legal and what isn't legal separating rumor from fact um we've been very very lucky to have some pretty strong support from various lawyers in kuwait which have made our job extremely uh effective when it comes to what we know our rights are as an organization, um, you know, what our, our members' rights are, what uh, migrant workers' rights are, depending on whether there's a labor issue or a human rights issue or, you know, a health issue or anything like this. Um, I think the real challenge in general is just raising awareness about what rights the, the, the rights of people are. Um, Kuwait has a very strong foundation of legal rights in, in, within its constitution, um, both for Kuwaiti citizens and residents or other, other foreigners living in Kuwait. Um, and a lot of people don't know this, uh, largely because of a lack of awareness or uh, not knowing the Arabic language, how to read. Um, but these things are actually quite enshrined in the system. And the labor law itself has very clear uh, rulings on protecting the, the, the rights of uh, workers. Um, the issue is the implementation of those rights uh, by the employer and uh, the government setting accountability for them. I mean, one of the things that we really... Uh, work on quite hard is educating migrant workers who've already been affected or, you know, as they enter the country about uh, what their rights are. Um, because they, if they know it's, they're much more likely to avoid any sort of violation against them by an employer um, in, in the time they stay in Kuwait. Um, but I think really, I mean, the main issue and it's in the name is, is creating a network. I think one of the challenges in a small country like Kuwait is having a network of like-minded organizations that can help each other, who have similar beliefs about the framework of laws and how to implement them, a similar stance on human rights. And unfortunately, Kuwait does not have very many of those types of groups that uh, are, are easy to collaborate with. Um, and this relates, I think, a lot to a podcast I was in uh, before about barriers to uh, barriers, social and uh, you know physical barriers to you know communities. And, uh, and this is one of them. It's just that there's not that many organizations and there's not that many organizations promoting 
uh, human rights. Uh, and, and by that, I mean the definition of human rights that's set out by the United Nations um, and the Declaration of Human Rights, or that most signatories of, of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights have worldwide. Um, finding organizations that actually do have those, uh, are committed to those goals and implement them are, are a handful in Kuwait. So I think building our own uh, organization and helping to other organizations develop those frameworks is, is, is the mission. And it's a very challenging mission that will take many, many years, decades to, to commit to. And it, it takes a lot of planning, a lot of time, which is why, you know, coming down to the original, you know, theme of this, or this uh, podcast is developing those legal foundations and frameworks and capacity so that we can continue because the fight is a long fight and it's a hard fight. Um, and it, it, it's a slow fight. It's not one with major legislative victories. It's one by, person by person. Um, and that's why, you know, we need these rules and frameworks to, it goes beyond uh, the lifespan of a single member. Fantastic. Thank you so much for touching upon all of those great uh, points. I'd like to thank you both for coming on today's podcast. Really appreciate it. And uh, thank you all for listening to this episode of Connecting with Can. We hope you're having a wonderful day and we'll see you next week. Stay connected.